this podcast now boasts its own Patreon page. Become a patron and join us in being a node to help spread awareness and hope. Details at patreon.com slash having a cuppa. My name is Jay Barnard, and I am the CEO and founder of Hype Recovery Coaching. Having a couple with Chris Nell is an amazing podcast. Chris asks his guests the tough questions about addiction and alcoholism, the real-life stories, and his guests give him the most amazing answers on how to get a life worth living. I've been a guest on the show many times. Same with Ashley and I, the recovery couple. Chris, we love you. Hit the subscribe button and subscribe to Having a Cuppa. I'm excited to say that having a cup of end hype recovery coaching are collaborating. So for all the listeners, use Chris Nell 50 as a coupon code when you go to www.hyperrecoverycoach.com and pick either the journey to 30 or the journey to 90 and save yourself $50 today. Having a cup is an amazing podcast. Hit that subscribe button, and we love you! How are you doing, folks? And thanks for tuning in to Having a Cuppa. On the show today, I've been blessed by the likes of Gregorio Lewis, a former peer specialist and now a motivational speaker and writer with a new brand called Surviving the Impossible. In the conversation to follow, he shares a rather harrowing story and at times it was hard for him to fully express his hurt. On that note, the following conversation may upset sensitive audience, just so you know. The upside though is he uses his experience now to show the world at large that you can indeed survive the impossible. At the time of this recording, he also has a new book, which will be an anthology of sorts that will hit the shelves October 1st this week, this coming Saturday as a matter of fact. Without me saying more, let's get into the mind of Gregorio Lewis and how his cup runneth over. Come on. This is Having a Cuppa. Get ready for the show. A cup of your finest brew, thanks, love. Cheers, you're a gem. and round we go where we stop nobody knows best get to it then
My name is Chris Snell. I've been involved in the media industry for almost 10 years. But what interests me most is the triumph of the human spirit. So off I go to parts unknown. This is The Journey. will lead us to the truths of the heart, taking us to destinations far and wide. From the US, the neighbours to the north, the UK, and everywhere else in the fray. Join me, sit back for the ride. Good tidings we bring. We're having a cuppa. México. It's a mighty honor. Thank you for coming onto the show. It's a pleasure to have you. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, man. That beautiful, beautiful flower bouquet. We were talking about it off the air. Now, Greg, before we get to the present, every story has a past. Tell me a little bit about it. Well, in the past 10 minutes, I picked this flower up on the street because they're filming a movie. And so, um, that's where I'm going to start for the, the moment we're in right now, because that's also in the past. So, but the real past or the far distant past? Well, I should be dead. Really? Because of my past. Yeah. Um, I'm alive because of uh, the grace of whatever is in the world that decided to have my eyes open up today and every day up until now. Much, uh, much uh, against my wishes for for a large uh, portion of my life. So my past is the kind of past that you would would prefer not to uh, have to know about and live uh, each day, knowing that it's real. So I, I am grateful for the opportunities to share in these sort of formats, so that I can express myself, which helps me heal and also helps me connect with you and others. And then people out there listening can, if, if perhaps if they relate with what I'm saying, they can see the magic and and surviving the impossible because that's my past. And that's what your banner, that? right? Surviving the impossible. Because I did. I mean, there's no way. There's no way around just 
telling the truth. I'm 48 years old. You I look 20. <laughs> There's a reason. I'm 48 years old. And um, in 1988, my parents manipulated a psychiatrist into having me diagnosed with schizophrenia despite a complete lack of symptoms and I spent the next 28 years drugged taking approximately 80,000 psychiatric drugs for a condition that was documented at the beginning as being fraudulent and the result of a threat against the psychiatrist who changed my medical record or faced the wrath of my parents who were abusing me behind closed doors. Oh, no. Oh, no, is right. So they manipulated a psychologist to basically bullshit your document to saying that you were to be diagnosed with schizophrenia but you never had schizophrenia. That is correct. To what cover up said, abuse. That is correct. I'm flawed. So I spent from age uh, 14 and a half to 18 as a child within the psychiatric, what they like to call it treatment system, but it was really a uh, abuse system. And so that's where I had my first. Um, I'm, not, I'm like I'm smiling because I, it's how I, I just I can't believe I had like the fact that I, I say these things is like it's so common for me to say because it's like no this is just what happened. So it's like almost gives me a relief to smile. Um, yeah, my first uh, sexual uh, experience, which was forced, uh, my being forced to live amongst really sick people. I was in a locked facility for much of this time. People living in the same room with sexual predators. Oh, shit. And uh, the medication they gave me uh, forced me to grow breasts. And I was humiliated sexually a lot. So they gave you estrogen? I don't know how uh, they worked because I was a 15 year old, but okay, Dr. Suris heck knew and it was obvious I grew breasts. And you can imagine the things that happened to a young adolescent. I've got the faintest of, idea. Yeah, I was humiliated by everybody. I couldn't defend myself because I was drugged. So drugged that I could hardly, hardly function. I was nobody. I was erased. I didn't matter. I could have just died. And it would have been my fault somehow. <laughs> I hear you. But Because that was the programming that was put into your head, that it was entirely your fault. But in fact, it wasn't your fault whatsoever. You, yeah, none of it was. You hardly had any cooking clue what was happening. I mean, you were an adolescent. I knew something was wrong and you know, how do I know all this? Because a lot of people can get up or sit here and just talk 
there's a reason why I can say what I'm saying with confidence. And there's a reason why a lot of people who, who have had similar things happen to them as I have cannot, or they're afraid or some other thing. The reason why I can say all this is because after all those years of living like that, I, I battled my way through. We can get back to this later, but I sure. think it's important right now that you and everyone knows why I can say this with confidence, why no one can stop me. I mean, they can, but they haven't yet. I'm still breathing and smiling, right? Maybe love really can uh, conquer all. We'll find out. But nevertheless, I can say all that I say with confidence and without the kind of fear that a lot of people would have in saying this. I know this because I, I ended up working as a mental health worker for the same institution as an adult that I was a ward of when I was an adolescent. So much so that I worked for 10 years in the state of Massachusetts in the United States as a mental health worker. This is way into the late 2000s. And I was also working for the Department of Mental Health for my state as a vetted staff trainer in which like psychiatrists and psychologists would earn um, what they call uh, continuing education units for their licensing by coming to my workshops that I talked about trauma and healing from a lived experience perspective. Mm, mm. So I got my documents from them because I was a ward of theirs when I was a child. And those documents said that the entire time, 28 years, including like for years while I was working for DMH, that well, I was a victim. The entire premise of the job that I had working for the Department of Mental Health and working as a mental health worker was that I had lived experience with mental health issues, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, all this nonsense, because that's what they wrote. But what they also wrote was that it was, it was fake. They wrote that it was a lie and they documented it. And who proved that to me? My employer, who also, when I was a kid, was responsible for my safety and welfare. So you can appreciate that, um, A, I can say all of this with confidence, knowing that ain't nobody gonna deny it uh, publicly. Publicly, that's the that's how they get you. They don't say it publicly, they just say nothing. And by saying it, um, I empower myself and I let everyone know that I know what the heck's going on and I survived and my power comes from telling the story. Even though I can't stand that it happened to me. So 28 years of my life, I'm age 14. I can understand that, yeah. Approximately age 41, I was nobody. I was somebody trying to break out of a cocoon that they were forced into. Sure. A butterfly spends 28 years I don't know what the right word is. Incubating is not the right word, but you know what no, I mean. No, incubating, incubating is the right word. Incubating until it breaks free. And once this butterfly broke free and realized with the, the, with the, with the help of a, a psychiatrist who, who looked at my story and looked at my, my records and looked at me and looked at the books I had authored already, looked at the work I did, said, oh my God, this guy's a, this guy's a victim. We're supposed to be giving him drugs for his illness, but we're actually causing all these problems. And by the time it was 2015, I obtained my medical records beginning in 2013, while working for the Department of Mental Health, the doctor said, we cannot give you this medication anymore because you're never going to have a chance to be a human being. You're never going to have a chance to be, to be any, anything if you continue to take psychiatric drugs. So we will no longer prescribe them for you and you need to get off of them over the course of time and we are removing 
the diagnosis of schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, all this nonsense from your file. Even now, you go look at my medical file back in the States, it says debunked. I haven't taken a psychiatric drug in seven years. And I paid consequences for this. I paid the consequences for being free, for telling the truth, because you're not supposed to get better. Of course. That's how it works. The moment that you've got that label on you, you're on the forever and a day. So you can appreciate my past. Is it really my past? Or am I just living someone else's unhealed trauma story? And it's not my fault. I see what you're doing there. I see what you're doing there. Yeah. Speaking the universal language of healing. See, so it's not my fault. But it's their responsibility. And anybody who who seeks to walk a certain sort of righteous path or I'm a good person kind of path, which is most people try at least, well, you better have your cobwebs all cleaned up in your closet because I'm also a human being and I have just as much value and worth as any other person on this planet. I'm, all, I'm deserving of the very same rights that that all, all babies are, are, are deserving over the moment they have breathed their first breath and nobody nobody no matter who you are how much money you have or what your job role is and what you think or what your own experiences are or anything has the right to diminish to discredit to deny to devalue to denigrate and to destroy another human being for what for what reason none that is is legitimate course so, but that I has been the action that's been taken throughout the fabric of modern history you know i would like to use your example and my example you know when you've been given a label as a schizophrenic or as a person with a mental health conflict let's use that politically correct term there's this label and there is this notion that the moment that you have it you're stuck with it permanently. You're a detriment to your environment. You're a detriment to your community. You're a detriment to society as large. You've got to continually take that clozapine. You have to continually take that lithium. You have to continually be subjected to whatever so much as a numbing drug you should be subjected to. Finish, done, that's the end of the story. But the moment that the contrast comes out, now people think, Oh dear. Oh my. Now you've got to change this narrative. So they lie. They lie and they denigrate just to cover their lie. And it's happened to me on a similar base so many times. In fact, I want to tell you, I've got no problem talking about this. I worked, this was in the heat of the pandemic. I was working for an online station here in uh, Southern Africa, the first of its kind, as a matter of fact, to be directly linked to one of the biggest media companies uh, in the country. They were trying to get a foothold in the radio market because they were a newspaper publishing company and a magazine publishing company. The pandemic strikes, we all go into hard lockdown. A couple of months later, they say, sorry, we're pulling the plug. And when I tendered my resignation because I was working for Bupkis money, nothing. I was just doing it purely for volunteer work. Um, I got crucified. 
how dare you leave us now when we're at this point where we're about to make progress and you know what, bringing XM to the country, blah, 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 blah. Only to find out two years later that I was used in a smear campaign, that I was the root cause, that that station fell flat. Only to discover a couple of years later that the real owner of the station had been siphoning off money from advertisers and putting it into his back pocket. And when that story came out, I was just a convenient, shall we say, red herring to divert attention away from him. I was accused of assault. I was accused of molestation. But you know what's the irony? Not one police record exists. Not one exists. And here we sit here today. It's funny how that works, doesn't it? You're on mute. Take two. Come on, I was on mute. People will do anything to cover their errands, no matter who they are or what they say they are. So let that be your reminder to all you out there that sometimes the people who appear to be the most wonderful and perfect and great. Round. Best people, oh, we're the best. Sometimes they are the most demonic, perverted fucks. So next time you hear some story that sounds maddening, you might want to look at the person who's telling it and then listen to the person who they're talking about because you might find out very quickly that things are very different as they seem. One person has power. Correct. The other person doesn't have power. That's what you need to know. You're between the lines. You'll have a whole entire story. I love exactly what you just said. Read between the lines. And I've done that my entire working career. And they don't like you for it, do they? No, they Not don't. Not at all. Not at all. But you know what, Gregorio? Hear me well. And this is something that applies to you as well, because I can see it in your eyes. We as humans eventually come to a point where we say, you know what? Why am I breaking my head over this? Now, sure, for certain criteria, it's unavoidable because it keeps knocking here. You get me? And I'm talking about the more severe cases, right? But for all the nitty gritty issues that you are either disliked for or for the fact that you convey your position in life, you know, you reach a point where you say, you know what? I don't give a flying fuck what you think about me. I don't give a flying fuck what your notion is because I'm not presenting an opinion which is based on fallacy. I'm presenting to you a perception based on one thing called fact. And if you don't like me for it, there's the door, please. Buzz off. And ultimately, it's the work that will prove itself. Yeah, 100%. And uh, I understand what you're talking about. I live it and I breathe it and I know it because that's my experience as well. Additionally, a lot of people perhaps, um, how do we say it? They made a mistake. I guess I'll say that. They made made a mistake with me. I I don't know. I'd like to, you know, I... I used to think that um, 
people were inherently good. I said, nah, people, I used to say, nah, like evil's not real. Like some people just don't do good things, but well, I, I almost have to, I have to like apologize to myself for believing, being so naive. Maybe I was so naive to think that, well, people are just, just good on the inside. All people are great and deep down, maybe they're hurt, they're, but they're not like actively trying to hurt me. So I don't know, I don't know, man. Some people actively tried to hurt me and some people just didn't know what to do. And some people hurt me because they were scared and what were they scared of? Maybe they were scared of something else. Maybe, maybe I represented something for them that they wanted to be and so they acted against me. So like there's all these varying degrees of, you know, when, when we put up like the, like all the bunny ears to say like, quote, like meaning like, oh yeah, well, I don't know. Some people are really cruel and some people did cruel things to me. That, I mean, the list of, of, of horrible things that were done to me at the hands of other human beings in all sorts of ways. It's so long that, I mean, I'm smiling about it because I'm like, I'm, like, I'm right here right now, I'm chilling. Like, I'm happy at the moment, you know, things are okay. Things could be a lot better, but they could be a whole lot worse. You know, I live in that moment. But do I do I think that everyone, or is it, would I, what would I, do I want to entertain the, the idea that all the people who hurt me, like, did it intentionally, or did it to cause harm, at least at the core of their reason? I don't think that's true. And if I did, that would make the world a whole lot more evil than it already is, so I have to accept. I think most people don't know what the heck to do when they hear a story like mine. It makes them feel uncomfortable, scares them. It 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 shakes up what they, they what they what they've been taught all their lives about justice, about health. How could this be? It must be crazy. It must be sick. I want nothing to do with this. This is bad. Yeah. All I did was tell the truth about what happened to me at the hands of mental health providers. And I worked as a mental health provider myself to help other people. And they did it to me again. They, they erased Crucified me. you. Yeah. They killed two birds with the same stone, 28 years apart. Oh, shit. By using so, your past against you. Using their past that they simply included me in. I stand corrected. Forgive me. No, no worries. Uh, it's really interesting how people talk about these kind of topics because you haven't said this and I'm glad, but many people talk about misdiagnosis. I'm like, ah, this ain't no misdiagnosis. Misdiagnosis uh, indicates uh, by definition that the, the initial thought of what was wrong with somebody was incorrect and so they made a mistake. This was no misdiagnosis when I was a kid. This was an intentional diagnosis. That, That's that right there freaked the F out of psychiatry and big pharma. Not only because it happened, but because look at me right now. You think you I survived and talk like this if I was popping your pills? No, they expected you to be brain dead. But guess what? I was when I took their pills and their pills killed me, but I lived. I still expect to die. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to play with anybody here. I don't like think anyone's going to show up today and shoot me. 
Well, I'm like playing with fire. <laughs> you know what? I don't know if I can do it, but I'll do it quick. You know, I'm playing with fire, but the the burning is 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 pleasant compared to what I've already endured. So I have a lot of power in simply smiling. And mm. you know, I've done a hundreds of interviews of a similar nature like this. So my stories documented in the annals of history. They'll never it will never be erased, no matter how 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 much people with power or capitalism wanted to. I may I may be erased as a, as a physical being, but what I learned here in Mexico is that the physical body is just a, a thing. A conduit. Your spirit, your, yeah, yeah. Your spirit continues. And I feel good knowing that. Well, look at that smile of yours. I mean, it's, 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 it's translucent of who you are as a person today. And I believe the next question should be, you know, um, I've been very vague as to the questions um, because that's not important. What is important is the now. We just asked this a little bit of a background. But after what you had faced for so many years, what was your proactive steps that you took to starting to heal? And I'm assuming you're still in that process. Yeah, that process is going to continue uh, even after I breathe my last breath. I feel very good about that. The first time I prayed, I was naked. I'm just gonna read a poem because it's easier. To Please do. do. Way. Please do. And if you want to become emotional, nothing stops you. In fact, I encourage it. <laughs> I appreciate that. I'm smiling right now because I have a wonderful person who's close to me, and uh, I'm a little bit too emotional sometimes. So I'm gonna share my my stuff with you right now. And Please do so. Cool you're safe here. Uh, I'm safe there too. Yeah, it's just one of those things, you know. You have to just um, you have to. Uh, I just have to be in the moment. I always try to be the best I can be. That's the, that's that's my job, just to be the best person I can be, and whatever moment I can become that, and just keep doing it. You know, a hundred times a day, as much as necessary. This is from my poetry book, <laughs> La Vida Inicia in Mexico. Life begins in Mexico. Uh, I was challenged to write a poetry book by some people I met. I traveled around the world giving my talks to, I meet people, I do it in all sorts of countries, but now that I've been in Mexico for three years, I've been in Mexico for three years because <laughs> of the pandemic, right? I live here now. So this is my, my, my bilingual poetry book. So it's in English and Spanish. <laughs> all right, so I'm gonna read it in English. <clears throat> this is the, the answer to your question. Uh, can I swear? Because there's a swear word. Actually, a swear scene. A swear. I've been swearing this entire interview. It's uncensored. Yeah, Burn your bones, son. The thing is, is when I speak in English, I swear constantly. Uh, so, like, I always try to, like... Yeah. I'm Irish, so what's the big diff? Oh, um, I was wondering, if I may, because you live in South Africa. Irish. Dutch-Irish. I've been to the Netherlands many times. I've been to Ireland many times, but I've never been to South Africa. But someday, someday I want to go. Trust right. me, under better days, you're more than welcome. In the current state, you're better situated where you are. Yeah, and you know, I was thinking, because you said a little while ago about your experience with the media platform, like you're in an isolated place. And 
back in the United States, it's a huge country, so and it's a little easier to just kind of get away or hide. But I couldn't even hide there and be safe. I live in a whole other place where everyone looks different than me and speaks a different language. And um, I think your situation, the situation in South Africa is very different for lots of obvious reasons. But I do relate with like being the odd guy out for different reasons. And so, well, you know what? It's my superpower. So I'm literally at that point of well, I don't give a fuck, really. I just I just came to a point where I just said I just don't give a fuck. I don't buy into the fucking programming. I don't buy into the fucking thing that people feed me. I don't buy into this fucking generation. I'm on my own steam, and this is why I do this show because I want to get a perspective like yours to enrich me because you have the kind of perspective that I want to buy into. You have that algorithm, that bandwidth that I want to buy into. Respect. Thank you. The first time I prayed, I was also naked. The first time I prayed, I was also naked. Something was wrong. It was a brain injury. Something that not everyone knows about me is that even in the midst of my absolute crazy, I'm still cute as fucking pie. Did you know one person's crazy is another person's paradise? I was a vulnerable 41-year-old man, so of course I was naked because I'm also cute. On the inside, I thought I had every reason to die. There was also a reason why I stayed alive. So it's not strange that I was naked the first time I prayed. For six years, I've tried to pray every day. Thanks, and have a great day. You asked me, what did I do to try to heal? Or what am I doing? And the very time period that I stopped taking psychiatric drugs, I was working for the Department of Mental Health, as I said, a little while ago. And in 2015, while I was working for them as a, a mental health worker, training mental health workers and also working in other places, I was an eyewitness to a patient being sexually exploited by a colleague. Um, so oh, fuck. I reported it. I reported it. Same month that I came out about what happened to me. Reported it to the people. That can't be fucking coincidence. The moment that you told that story, that just happened to slip out the very same month. The moment, the same moment I came out about my childhood story and I got off all the psychiatric drugs, same month I was an eyewitness and I just fulfilled my job. That's all I did. All I did was report it as required. Yeah. So I know. I know what they did to me. And my life collapsed. Yeah, it may have collapsed anyways. It may have, it may, it may, I may have experienced a collapse anyway, because you can't go off psychiatric drugs and not have an extremely difficult time. That's, that's an old, that's its own beast in, in upon itself. The entire, the entire like 20 years, the entire fraud, all the, my family threatening me, I mean, the whole nine yards, you know, me having issues, not knowing how to be with people, not like being immature. I mean, 
mosquitoes started biting me for the first time in years. My blood was so toxic, mosquitoes wouldn't bite me. So no one touched me, no one wanted to hug me. I was always repelling people like because I was weird and I didn't even know why. So everything changed, right? Right. People started like, being attracted to me and I always thought I was ugly and I was so, it's not okay. Then I met a woman with a similar, similarly effed up story. I believe that uh, her intentions are good. But as you can imagine, um, I was not okay in different ways. And uh, ultimately I was not prepared to be with anybody, <laughs> even myself, right? And um, well, as the story goes, um, dealing with this chaos with my job and reporting this stuff and being called crazy and losing my job and kind of feeling like people were smearing me, I chose to jump. Like like uh, Steve Harvey, who's the, com uh, the comedian, and yeah, today, I, referenced, I referenced this before, but he he does the Family Feud TV show. And yeah, he's he also got a South updates. African version here. Yeah, well, I don't know if you ever looked it up, but if you haven't, you should look up on YouTube, Steve Harvey, um, just his speech about jumping. Just look it up. Yeah, yeah, and I'm familiar with that speech. speech. Yeah, so like, um, but that came a little later, but like I had to trust, I had to do something. And it was based on that idea that like things aren't going to work out here. I got to do something. So me and the girl I was with, I invited her with me to Europe for the first time. I went to Europe to speak at a mental health conference called the International, I uh, called the European Conference on Mental Health, which that year it was in Riga, Latvia. So the first time I ever I went to Europe was to go to Riga, Latvia. So went to Riga, Latvia with her and we traveled and Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, and Finland giving workshops and presentations about mental health recovery, things like that as well. And um, in the sauna, we went into a sauna in Riga. And in that sauna, um, the heat, we were all naked, right? Like, the heat uh, like detoxified my body rapidly. I had not gone on a sauna since before I was uh, taking drugs when I was a kid. Mm, mm. And I got so, super sick. I had a rapid detox. I became very, very ill. all that stuff out of your system. But I became sick. Like, I, I nearly died. And it was scary. I was crazy. I just have to say, not good crazy, bad. I guess. I guess. Nuts. Uh, and, um, came back. And I was just not okay. And so everyone just thought I was sick. They just thought I went, I think you should take your meds, Craig. You should take the pills. I'm like, I can't take the pills. I'm sicker now than I was. Like, I was sick because I took the pills. And then something happened to me in the sauna and people didn't really understand anything. Ultimately, um, she and I spent more time together for a while. And, and uh, she's like, you need to start praying because you're under a spiritual attack and not taking all these medication you never learned how to protect yourself and she tried to teach me so she taught me to pray she's like you just need to try like you need to connect because you need to connect with something because you're vulnerable so one day in the bed we were naked and she's like okay it's like i'll try to pray so i said my prayer and at the end like the end i said thanks and have a my quote was thanks and have a great day and she laughs <laughs> I don't really talk. That's okay. But like she laughed. I always remember that because you asked me like, what did you do? Well, after all that happened, I, I 
afraid for the first time as an adult, uh, all naked. <laughs> well, I, if you want to be vulnerable, how more vulnerable can you get? <laughs> I come from a synagogue back in the United States in my state of Massachusetts that is one of the only synagogues that has a clergy member convicted of rape during the same time period as the the Massachusetts Catholic Church sex abuse scandal, which had lots of priests go to jail. Right, I remember rape. that story. Yeah, so that can that also be the, the play uh, uh, August Osage County, as I'm there to understand. I don't know, but I come from that same place, except mine was in the synagogue, and they actually convicted the rab uh, the cantor. He was convicted of rape. <laughs> Yeah, so my prior history of being a spiritual or religious has to do with, you know. I can understand that. And I, I can appreciate that. that immensely. But let's take it to a positive, Greg. Um, where did your passion for writing start? Because you've written me a poem. Well, I was challenged to write a poetry book. I did. Uh, I was a poet, and I didn't know it. Uh, I was challenged to make me do my presentations. I need translated up here because I don't speak Spanish properly. And so, um, I was in a city called Ciudad Guzman, which is in the state of Jalisco, and uh, which they just had a hurricane. Uh, a hurricane. They just had an earthquake off the coast of Colima. So mm -hmm. I know my friends. I need to call them because I know my friends in all those areas. They must. They were affected. Uh, hard, uh, earthquake was today or yesterday. Um, but one of those people challenged me to write a poetry book and they then invited me to come do a tour of reading poetry in Jalisco, so I did. But I digress. Um, how did I become a writer? In 2007, I became what is called a certified peer specialist, which is a lived experience mental health worker. Right. They have right, them right, in right. Times, I believe. Um, and part of my internship was to create something that would remain behind at the program that I was doing my internship at. And so I did, I created a thing called Better Days, uh, a, a support group, a lived experience support group. And at the end of the, the internship, I, I worked in a different place and then I, I worked in other places and I volunteered uh, for three years uh, with people like me, people in recovery from mental health issues, even though I didn't have it, right? I was just kind of crazy, but sure. I was taking the pills, you know, I must've been sick, right? And I, I uh, continued each week to develop um, a curriculum, like unintentionally never planned to publish it. It's just like, well, I'm gonna go to my volunteer gig every Thursday, I think it was 10 a.m. I had to write a passage. I wrote a passage about whatever was going on in my life at the time. What, what was I struggling with? What was bothering me? What was upsetting me? Whatever it may be. Then I'd write three questions. I'd email them to the program. I'd arrive, they'd be printed out, and I'd go right to my group, and it'd be 10 or 50 people usually. And I'd facilitate this group and I did it as a volunteer. Ultimately, I stopped, did other things. And in 2013, same year, I got my documents and said I was a 28-year victim of abuse, not knowing that I was, taking the bills for 28 years. I published, self-published, uh, The Better Days Mental Health Recovery Workbook. And it's now since sold almost 10,000 copies. And so... Wow, congratulations, buddy. 10 different languages now. Uh, I wrote other books that are similar. My cat, one of my cats ripped the cover because I don't know why she had to eat the cover, but I, I only have one copy. This is the Craig Lewis guide 
to survive in the impossible because my name in English is Craig, but I don't like that name. So sure. I'm with Gregorio now in Mexico. So I published three workbooks and two anthology books of punk rockers from around, from around the world sharing that they're Oh man, experience. now you now we're busy talking. Now we're cooking with Crisco here. Black Flag, and, the Ramones. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I actually here in my town, I, I have a, a, a Bluetooth and uh, because I'm a crazy gringo, but I'm accepted because <laughs> I, I have to be because this is my home now. Sure. Like, I don't even know where to go, right? I have to be part of the community. So I walk around with my Bluetooth like loud. I swear. Sometimes I play Black Flag in English, but I have like tons of metal and punk and reggae and everything. <laughs> metal and walk, Megadeth and all this. Eclectico, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm a punk rocker for life. Well, you know what? If we can just divert for a couple of seconds, the punk rock ideal back in the 80s when it sprang forth in both California and New York, um, they were sort of like a continuation of the beatniks where they wanted to get underneath the truth of it all. You know, if society is living at this level, why are they operating at this level? So they were trying to find the truth underneath it all. And I'd like to think that, you know, a continuous onset of entertainers today in the 21st century, uh, not so much in number, I, sh- I should add, are still continuing with that. I don't like the phrase counterculture because counterculture is not counterculture at all. I would think more on the aspect of rebel pioneer is the continuation of what the rebel pioneer uh, which is a continuation of what the punk rock movement was in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Yeah. And the reason why I asked you that about your writing work, I learned a beautiful quote a couple of years ago because, you know, like me, you, I've been bullied like what you have. And the notion is that we're stupid. But um, I don't believe that anymore. The beautiful thing about reading is... If you can't afford to go anywhere, you can go everywhere in a book. And that's why reading today is one of my favorite, favorite hobbies of all time, even at 30 years of age. You know, it helps build the vocabulary, it helps build your general knowledge, and it helps expand the imagination. You get what I'm saying? And the the fact that you have actually taken it, which is a very ballsy step, I might add, because a lot of people are doing it more now, self-publishing and all that. Um, you you literally, to quote Steve Harvey, jumped off the deep end and made a name for yourself in many facets, I, should, I would like to think, in the area of mental health and plus also the arts, if you don't mind me saying so. I don't mind you saying so because it's true. And... There's a lot of funny things that happen when you jump. You piss off a lot of people. People who who used to know you and they think they're social capital and like, you know, get ready at talking shit. They do that. Um, I lost everything when I left the United States. I used to say I lost everything. I know I, I didn't. I found myself. I mean, I'm much happier now. But I lost all my material things, you know, and connections. And I bought a one, one-way ticket to Paris, France, and I spent the next year plus without a home, living out of a small backpack. And I traveled with 
30 different European countries. I lived in Paris, I lived in Netherlands, I went to Kosovo, I was in Ukraine for two weeks, Romania, Bulgaria, Poland, Switzerland, Netherlands, Belgium, Ireland. I, I, I was a guest lecturer while I was homeless at Dublin City University. I presented at Cork University. Uh, I, uh, I spoke at the Czech National Institute, Institute of Mental Health while I was homeless. The next day, I gave a presentation in an illegal squat that was then shut down by the police. You know, that's my story. Um, Bosnia, Albania, Greece, Turkey, and then... All throughout Europe to around the Eastern Bloc countries. Oh, yeah. That's what I did while I was homeless. That's what I did when I bought a one-way ticket and left everything behind. So I wouldn't be homeless in the Northeast of the United States, Salem, Massachusetts, in the middle of the winter, where my only option of anywhere to go to live was the homeless shelter in which I gave peer support, peer support groups at using the book I authored, getting paid by DMH contract, working for the company that had me there. And we're in another location. I witnessed my colleagues being sexually exploitative with patients. I couldn't go back to where, where I was um, working. Well, who shelter. can't blame you? So I, I left. I've not seen any of my friends since. The cat was killed. All my stuff was gone. Landed in Paris. Two days later, I gave my first workshop in France uh, with the translator who did translated my book into French. And on the third night, I moved in with a tour guide and I lived with her for a month until she changed me out, respect to her. And then I lived in a squat with um, 15 men from Africa who came across the Mediterranean from Mali and Senegal and Eritrea and Guinea for this, to find a new life and, and I lived in a squatted building with them in, in, in Paris and then I said okay I'm gonna have to stay here so I spent the next I guess eight months from there on out all over Europe and ultimately uh, at some point I um, spent three months in French Canada where I couldn't talk to anybody either and then I was back in Europe and then I moved to Mexico and I lived in a non-English speaking place since that's what happened when I jumped and Steve Harvey, uh, I made a video dedication to him. I've tried to send it to him, but he hasn't received it or hasn't, I don't know, but I have a YouTube video with him thanking him. So yeah, that's what I did. Well, you know what? I think what you have done is you made the best of what you had to make the best of. And if I look where you are today, Greg, um, you're far better off where you once were and i'm not saying that for dinkin please hear me you know i don't want to appear as that charismatic person i want to be completely transparent with you you know i think you've been literally put on a path of higher learning to understand the true the truth behind men, real mental health in starker contrast as to what you were afflicted with that's why i held up my two fingers the first time to put it in inverted commas and looking at the man who's sitting across from me via a computer screen today is a man who's far better than what he once was i see a man who's absolutely creative beyond measure who's got immeasurable talent and you are the monument of the statement surviving the impossible and we've covered it from a to Z, and that is something that no one can take away from you. It's a badge of honor, a lifetime achievement. 
<laughs> Thank you very much. And that is true. No one can take this from me. I would not be surprised if I was killed today, tomorrow, or in three years. And I won't be surprised if I breathe my last natural breath when I'm 117. But no matter what, the truth is the truth. And ain't nobody gonna take it from me. No, they don't. If I died today, that's okay. Because the, it, no one ever gonna take this from me. No matter what happens, I've done the right things. I made some mistakes. I simply chose to be happy, healthy, and well. I chose mental health. I mean, come on. What kind of crazy world do we live in? In which um, we say, mental health, mental health awareness, ask for help. I'm like, hey, over here. Like, not you. You need to say, what is wrong with your system? Oh, you're getting paid by the big pharmaceutical companies. Oh, you're, shut up. <laughs> Get out of here. Well, I mean, I've spoken out You're against Big Pharma so many times on this show. Almost and I'm still... No, I said, I'm one of those guys who spoke out against Big Pharma so many times because I was addicted to painkillers and sleeping tablets, which is in the medic medical classification opioids forward slash methamphetamines, right? Um, I've recently found out now, ever since the fentanyl crisis started taking uh, effect... Well, I say taking effect, it's spread like wildfire worldwide that sleeping pills and painkillers are the two most common ingredients to exemplify or amplify rather the effect of both heroin and fentanyl. And this is the stuff that you can get over the counter for literally an apple and an onion, number one. And number two, it's schedule three med medication. Now, schedule three medication is, a bit, is above schedule two, which is your normal like headache tablets that you can get at the counter, but the schedule three stuff is the start of the strong stuff. And if you're getting schedule seven, from schedule three up until schedule seven, you need doctor's prescription. But this is stuff that you can get over the counter at schedule three without a doctor's prescription and people are getting hooked left, right and center. Why is no one fucking paying attention? Well, in the United States, I think it was last year, they finally had their huge lawsuit against the Sackler family who was responsible for the oxycodone. Yeah, crisis. yeah. And so, like, the truth is, I can't speak directly to the facts, but I understand what's happened. You can look it up yourself if you're interested to get the facts straight. But they've been penalized all this money, but they're not really losing any money. They're just. What about uh, the lives that have been taken? What about them? Uh, you can't sorry, pay that money. Sorry. Hey, you guys don't. Hey. Big pharmaceutical money is making money matters. Who, how are they going to pay for their estates in Ohio? Instead Keep of Ohio, people hooked. Lily, they need your money. You, that's, I think that's the first thing we need to remember. That our lives don't matter to people who, who care more about money. So people like yourself, people like me, and anyone who speaks out, we have to remember that they're happy to pay you to, to do their dirty work for you. Even if you're an advocate, they're happy to they're happy to find a way to have you benefit what they're doing because they make money. And if the bad guys are gonna make money, they don't care how how uh, uh, if you have some great set of ideals, if they can find a way to get you to take their money, they'll take your money. That's how mental health care works. They mm. like on the same token, 
They know those pills make people sick. So I can't just know that there's no such thing as a side effect. They're talking about, talking about delusions. We're going to give you a pill for your mental health. These are the potential side effects. Really? What about, why don't we just like call them effects? It's supposed to do this one thing for you to make you not crazy, but it's going to make you repressed, make you impotent. Maybe like, like, like that's not a side effect. That's a direct it's, it's, consequence. It's the, the people who make the pain pills that people get hooked on, then they can't get their prescription anymore. So they're robbing pharmacies. Then, you know, they're afraid of getting caught. So they go to heroin. In fact, that's just the same thing. It's the same. Once a patient, patient is an addict. If you're taking pills, like psychiatric drugs, you're an addict. Don't try to call yourself something that you're not. Because someone else was an addict, but you are. You're an addict to uh, something that puts money in people's pockets. Uh. Don't deceive yourself. Well, thank you for that warning. Tell me about your upcoming book that is uh, getting ready for October, as I'm there to understand. On October 1st. Okay. On October 1st, uh, the story that I've authored recently, which is my story of my liberation story. So this is an autobiographical book. Uh, it's a 18 writers from around the world. Are writing oh, sorry. You words. mentioned off air that it's an anthology. Uh, anthology. See, and I'm I'm one of I'm one of the, the 18 writers, and so my story is called my story is approximately 1,400 words, and it's called the beginning, the, the beginning. beautiful life of a murder survivor. Well, well, well. And as I'm led to understand, you've got a publisher in Australia who's going to be circulating it for you. Yeah, I mean, it's a big collaboration. So uh, my story is going to be read by tens of thousands of people. And uh, that's cool. That's good for me. Good for well, everybody. You know what? Don't be surprised if you, if, you, if you get the opportunity to lecture there at Monash University, for example. Because you are that's a gifted speaker. I, 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 I thank you. I don't know where Monarch's University is, but where is Monarch University? Uh, Monash. It's, um, Monash. I think it's in Melbourne, Melbourne, Australia. Well, um, I'll fly anywhere. I've proven that uh, <laughs> because my passport has like, no more space in it. So I'm getting a new passport. But I, I'm not going to move my computer right now. But on my wall, I have my posters. From where I've spoken publicly in Guatemala, Bulgaria, Croatia, Czech Republic, Helsinki, Nicaragua, Italy, Costa Rica, Belgium, Honduras, Greece, Poland, and goes on and on and on and on and on. A real Spain. globetrotter. Well, like that's what happens when 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 they kick you out of your country for being uh, awesome or for telling the truth and for just saying, "Hey, I want to be happy." Like, I want to be happy. I want to be good. I want to be helpful to others. I want to take my experience and help other people get better. Mm. Oh, you're not supposed to do that stuff, I think. Big you're problem. not supposed to be sick. Craig, get back in the box. No, you, you can't start teaching people how to get better. I'm like, yeah, but that's what we're supposed to be doing. Mental health, right? Let's get better. We get, oh, no, no, no. You have to do it our way our way says you have to do certain things to be mentally healthy and if you don't do certain things 
you can be mentally healthy by yourself over there, Craig, but you need to do it our way. Like your way, they'd be sick. And all these people deserve to know that they have power. All the people deserve to know that they actually have power to get better. And maybe you, maybe you're doing them wrong. Maybe you don't know. Maybe you got a bad education. Who taught your teacher? Like, where does this begin and where does it an end? Because I'm the living proof that it's all a bunch of crap. Yeah, <laughs> they don't want someone like me saying that. So, Global Charter, yes. Um, am I a tourist? No. Like, I'm talking about eating out of trash, brother. <laughs> Many times eating out of trash, begging. I sold myself. No. Chill, 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 chill. No worries, man. Uh, you do what you have to do when you have nothing. So, one person said, Oh, look at him. He's living high in the hog, globe trotting. I'm like, how, how little you understand about reality. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. Yes, I do. Greg, what, what I want to say is, I think you have a lot to be proud of, and you have endured a lot. Certainly, what most people would not even dare to think of enduring in a lifetime. And uh, just one, one final question as we start to wind down. Um, this has been really a conversation that I did not see coming whatsoever. Um, it's evident that you have a lot to say and that you still have a lot to uncover that you want to get off, off of your chest through the work that you do and through the writing that you do. Um, this is a tricky question, but I'm sure you'll understand the context. Through your experiences and what you have learned, would you consider yourself a mental health, a true mental health uh, advocate? Absolutely not. Not at all? Not at all. Because I am the epitome of, of good mental health. And either uh, a person chooses for themselves to get better, and the only way they're really gonna get better is if they make the choice to get better, which means that you may have to uh, break the rules of what mental health advocacy and mental health care and all this stuff says you're supposed to do, uh, or you're gonna never be 100% free and healthy. Uh, I hear you. You may feel good, but, but if you're bound and trapped and enslaved to something, which could even be yourself, then, then I don't wanna advocate that anyone's mental health uh, is is tethered to um, uh, rules and restrictions and obligations and requirements uh, dictated by another person who is um, um, stripping the sovereignty of another by saying that there's something wrong with you that we can't prove, but I'm gonna say there's something wrong with you, so that's who you are. No, I don't advocate for anything like that. And I would rather was, ask, to correct myself, what is the badge of honor that you would give yourself that you stand up for? People matter. And there's a lot of people in our world who are treated like trash. Sometimes because of just how they look or like their gender who they love or what they believe or where they live where they were born lots of things that have nothing to do with like, like, like who they are it's just 
more like where they come from or how they feel like it's natural things that are not in your control and my badge of honor is just speaking the truth that 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 every person you meet and this does include everybody it, it, it includes all the bad people you know because there's lots of evil people out there and i don't i don't want to condemn anybody to 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 the to their own fate but it's their own decision like what their fate is um but like my badge of honor is seeing that each person does have that value and to be able, being able to see that in defiance of everything and to know that humanity that humanity does exist in each person i want to believe it does maybe not everybody maybe some people are so sick and hurt that i want to just not be around them but truly deep down inside everyone's just really hurt and that it's i guess it's how we use that hurt how we transform that hurt into something else is really what makes you the person you are today and you can either be one thing or another and i choose to be um at, at least i can say this i choose to be the best the best version of myself possible in this moment even if i have to like correct myself or you know take my beating or my criticism or whatever uh, for making mistakes and i want to just keep becoming that person uh, all day long and uh, do it again tomorrow and that's my badge of honor and i i want that to be what people do for themselves because i want to live in a world where people are trying their best to be their best and if we all do that then we'll all be better all right so in other words not necessarily a trauma survivor but a trauma warrior a two yeah a, yeah I'm, a two word badge of honor for surviving the impossible how's that Yeah, I'm so sick of being a survivor. It sucks. A trauma I'm just, warrior. I'm a warrior. I would even just call myself a warrior. Okay, we'll just call it a warrior, plain and simple. <laughs> If you saw me walking on the street. There we go. No. Um, yeah. Gregorio, thank you so much. You're, you're a tonic. And you know what? You're more than welcome to come back. And then we'll take this into a part two. All the best for uh, coming October for your upcoming book, May It Be a Instant bestseller and let's see what golden opportunities await you after the release of that book all the blessed for what's awaiting you currently and um well done you've done may i phenomenally may I well share with, yeah may i please share with your listeners uh a way to contact me and find out about please my book share go for it i was about to ask just before we end off i was just making sure you know it's my job too to make sure <laughs> um, to all the people out there who may have uh, found what you heard today fascinating or offensive or stimulating or invigorating or confusing. Keep it or, all positive. I'm sure they're going to be inspired and they're going to want to know more. Well, all those things I just said are our reactions that I will respect because it's not easy to hear these stories because um, it does offend some people. It does upset some people because it makes them look at themselves. And either they're going to look at themselves and say, oh my God, that could be me, or maybe I want to change, change, we could change, but I'm scared. And other people are just going to be, I'm going to, I hate that guy. This is my reality. I can't tell this story without recognizing that some people aren't going to like it. And that's okay. If you don't like my story, that's okay. Someone probably hurt you and you never got a chance to heal. So that's my message to you. I want you to heal. Um, and if you like my story or you don't, either way, <laughs> my website is Sanity is a full-time job.org and if you go to my website you go to sanity is a full-time job dot at 
sanityisafulltimejob.org slash collections slash books. I'll just search all around there. You'll find all my books. I have published in 12 different languages or 10 different languages. And uh, when you buy things from that website, I my life gets better. I survived the impossible for a reason. And I hope that what you've heard today makes uh, you feel something. And uh, I thank you, my brother, Chris, uh, from Ireland, living uh, Ireland and Dutch, living in um, <laughs> South Africa. <laughs> I hope you have a deadly day, because I know that word from Dublin. In the merry month of June, from me home, I started left in the girls of June, nearly broken, had a saluted father dear. <laughs> I hope you have a deadly day, and I hope you don't have too much of a very wet rain. And uh, I love Ireland. Um, I love everywhere. I love everybody. So I hope you all feel that in your heart. Thanks, brother. Salute. This water is from the mountain uh, underneath me. It's from the aquifer, and it's pure. So when they say don't drink the water in Mexico, don't drink the water in Mexico unless you're in a place where you can go to the side of the road and turn the thing, fill up your glass, and drink it. Thank you, heavens. And in the truest, truest Irish tradition, may you always have food and raiment, a soft pillow for your head. When the day comes that when you should leave the earth, Reign supreme in heaven above for 40 years before the devil even realized that you left. But for the time that you're here on earth, you, Gregorio Lewis, live to be 200 years old with an extra 60 years interest. There you go, brother. So it is here where we have to make a pit stop, but don't fret, we'll be back soon. In the meantime, tell your friends, join us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, and Podcast One. Until we see you again, this was having a cuppa for the week. See you soon. <laughs>